Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Beyonce? You look like Luther Van Dross. Ho. But make it fashionable. Who said that? Welcome to Back Issue, a weekly podcast that revisits formative moments in pop culture that we still think about. I'm Josh Quinn. It's almost springtime, March is here. Pisces, they're out here thriving. The flowers are starting to go to full bloom, which means my allergies are killing me. But most importantly, Hollywood's doling out little gold statues left and right. That's right, it's award season! Today on Back Issue, we're diving deep on one very special part of award season. Of award shows, even. The art of the acceptance speech. Later on in the episode, I'll be dissecting one really, really big and important speech. At least it was important to me, because in my 13-year-old brain, I thought racism was over. Halle Berry's speech at the 2002 Oscars. I'm going to be talking about it with the one and only Wesley Morris. He's a critic at the New York Times. The thing that was really moving about this for me was that you want to go up there and help this person through this. But first... Here with me to talk about all the ingredients for the perfect award speech. I'm joined by co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hey. I've been practicing my speech for forever, since I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> me too. What, what did you say? Uh, you know, I think it changed a lot. It was usually just like, thank you, thank you, family, friends. Um, I love you. It's been great. You know, d- generic stuff. <laughs> I loved a mirror. I loved a remote control. I needed the proper setup in order to just imagine and immerse myself. <laughs> Before we dive in, I'd like to talk about why award speeches are so captivating. So, Aisha, what makes an award speech memorable for you? I feel like the ones that are the most memorable, especially in today's day and age, are the ones that tend to be the most succinct to some extent. Uh, so they're easily memeable in a way. They're the types of things where you can kind of cherry pick that one moment. Um, and also just like sincerity, I think is really important. 
Obviously, these are performers, these are actors, and yes, sometimes the speeches that are prepared are still memorable, but I think the ones that feel the most off the cuff mm-hmm. are the ones that really, really stand out and and seem like a, a moment where we're not used to seeing these people um, kind of taken aback or surprised or just... Um, vulnerable. Vulnerable, yeah. Not in a perfect state. Yeah, and I'm thinking especially like in the pre-internet era for audiences, award shows might have been like the rarest of occurrences where you would see an actor in the wild, like as themselves. And for actors, it was an occasion for them to be able to speak to a large audience, millions of people as themselves, not as a character. And I think that's why today we wanted to look at speeches from actors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, because now today, obviously, all of these performers are often coming to us through their Instagram pages. Right. But before they allowed us to get a sneak peek into their personal lives, this was kind of one of the only other ways we could see them in sort of a state that is beyond their control. It's live TV. You can't control anything. (laughs) No. So so if you're stumbling up the stairs like Jennifer Lawrence did to get your award, (laughs) you know, you can't plan that. I think that when we start talking about memorable award speeches, we have to think about the context, not just what happened. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind when we think about our first speech here, maybe the most quoted award speech, when Sally Field won her second Oscar in 1985 for Places in the Heart. But I want to say thank you to you. I haven't had an orthodox career, and I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. The first time I didn't feel it, but this time I feel it. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. A lot of people hold on to that line, you like me, you really like me, as someone begging for Hollywood's approval, but that isn't what happened. Sally had won her first Oscar a few years earlier for Norma Rae, union sign in the air, but she still kind of felt like the industry wasn't taking her seriously. She was in sitcoms like Gidget, and she was in one called The Flying Nun, which has a special place in my heart because she's in a habit and she just flies around. So winning for the second time here, what she actually is saying is something closer to like, wow, you really respect me, not just, wow, you really like me. It's also kind of a humble brag. She's like, the first time I won, it was (laughs) it. But she's just like, I didn't really feel it. I wasn't present or I wasn't in the moment or I was unsure of myself and now that I've won this again I can tell that you actually like me so I think that's where the you really really like me that misquoted part comes from where it's just an emphasis on how effervescent she seems in this moment yeah there's just like this positive thing about Sally Field that has kind of fallen out of vogue yeah I guess just like you know times are rough and we, we why are you positive <laughs> yes <laughs> And, you know, that sort of eagerness. We saw it decades later with Anne Hathaway, right? Mm, That's a great comparison. And, yeah, when she won that Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for Les Mis, that was, like, 2013, peak Anne Hathaway overexposure, over-eagerness era. Everyone hated her on the internet. How do you feel about, like, her first words being, it came true? It came true. (laughs) Oh. Thank you so much to the Academy for this. It seems like the audience was just like... Eye roll. There was dead silence. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's one of those moments where it it felt forced because it was forced. 
Like, Anne Hathaway, she gave this interview a couple years later where she was like, yeah, I won the Oscar, and people thought it was performative because it kind of was. She said that she felt a lot of pressure to emote and perform a certain way and have this reaction that she thought she was supposed to have. And that's not an easy position for someone who's always taking hits for being performative. (laughs) That's not an easy position for them to be in. I know. I I mean, look, yes, big theater kid energy. I know it's a lot. Maybe as a former theater kid, I have a little bit more empathy and sympathy (laughs) for her. Um, But yeah, it it always felt a little too harsh. Mm. So at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned some criteria that make a good award speech, like whether it felt sincere and if it felt off the cuff, even if it was written. So Aisha, with this in mind, I want to listen to the speech that Ariana DeBose gave at the 2022 Oscars when she won Best Supporting Actress for West Side Story because I kind of feel like the speech manages to feel authentic even though we all know it was pre-written and I want to know if you feel the same. Imagine this little girl in the backseat of a white Ford Focus. Look into her eyes. You see a queer, openly queer woman of color, an Afro-Latina, who found her strength in life through art. And that's what I believe we're here to celebrate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, so to anybody who has ever questioned your identity, ever, 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 or find your, you find yourself living in the gray spaces, I promise you this, there is indeed a place for us. Thank you to the Academy and thank you all. <laughs> so two things. First, this is obviously prepared in a way. It's not off the cuff. But the difference here, I think, from what Anne Hathaway and also even Sally Field had going is that She also, as an Afro-Latina, openly queer woman, she didn't have to, but she felt compelled to address that in the room. And put it in context. And so it's not just about her, it's about a bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we often see on the rare occasions when people from underrepresented groups actually wind up winning the awards. The speech becomes about that. And there's a way that that could feel sort of grandstanding or performative. But I think in this case, for me at least, it totally works. I think she chose all the right words. She said it in the most succinct way. She acknowledged who she wanted to acknowledge. Mm. And it's, it's a moving moment. Even though you know she prepared those words, it still feels real and true. Okay, on one hand... We have these speeches, like the kind of standard Oscar speech, quote-unquote, like the sincere speech, where people are trying to show us their authentic selves to varying degrees of success. (laughs) Yes. On the other hand, sometimes people go the exact opposite, and they lead with funny. They lead with comedy. I personally love when people commit to a bit, except for that one time with Jimmy Kimmel. When Jimmy pretended to be passed out on the stage, when Quinta Brunson was winning her first Emmy for writing for a comedy series. Jimmy, wake up, I won. <laughs> Jimmy, okay, hold my phone. Um. Get off the stage. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and Julia Louis-Dreyfus is kind of known for doing this because, well, she's won eight acting Emmys, so it's kind of like, what am I going to do this year? Got to come up with another idea. So let's look at a couple of ways she's approached the quote-unquote funny speech. Let's start with her 2012 Emmy speech for Best Actress in a comedy series for Veep. Thank you so, 
so much. I'm a bit overwhelmed. Oh, my God. Um, first of all, I would like to thank NBC, Parks and Rec, my beautiful boys, Archie and Abel. Um, so uh, the joke is that after learning that she won... Amy Poehler gives her a hug, and they switch (laughs) speeches. Yeah, which makes you think that perhaps this could have gone either way. Amy would have done the same thing, I'm assuming. Right, exactly, exactly. And when she's won again the next year, she brought up Tony Hale, the actor that plays her aide, like her personal assistant on Veep, up on stage with her. Yeah. And he's whispering in her ear so that she knows exactly what to say next. I'd like to thank our... My family. Brad Hall and Henry Hall and Charlie Hall, my children are here this evening. You love them so much. And I love them so much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I am not as high on bits during award ceremonies, but I I give a pass because, well, for one thing, it goes specifically with that character that she, you know, is winning for. Mm-hmm. So it it makes total sense. Also, she is she is queen. She is comedy queen. And to bring in friends or real life co- co-workers, colleagues like that to play in on the bit, it's fun. It's unexpected. What would you say if I told you that I had like the Avengers version of bringing your friends in on the bit? Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Okay, so it's Best Lead Actress in a Comedy Series at the 2011 Primetime Emmys. And what happens is all the nominees have their names called. Amy Poehler, Parks and Recreation. Melissa McCarthy, Mike and Molly. Martha Plimpton, Raising Hope. But instead of staying in their seat like, you know, you're supposed to at an award show, they all get on stage like it's a beauty pageant. Uh, I totally forgot about this. Like all of the nominees are in on the bit. I love it. And they're all holding hands. <laughs> I just want to say, girls, everyone is a winner. And I know that you're going to go on to serve this body with distinction. And the Emmy goes to Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> and they bring crown out and flowers. <laughs> Holy smokes. Wow, it's my first and best pageant ever. <laughs> I mean, I'd totally forgotten about this, but it's kind of a classic. Um, <laughs> and again, it's the type of thing you can really only do once, right? Like you can't. Right. You could try to do it again, but it wouldn't have the same effect. And also like it would make the award shows even longer than they already are. Right, <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like it adds on an extra minute or so. And we need those precious minutes because these shows are already too long. They really are. But yes, that, I'm glad you introduced that one to the conversation. It's great. <laughs> um, another way that people avoid the sincerity trap is by keeping it short and sweet. And the Emmy goes to Merritt Weaver, Nurse Jackie. Oh, thank you. So- oh, no. Thanks so much. Um, thank you so much. Um, I gotta go. Bye. It's Merritt Weaver from Nurse Jackie thinking that she's me because this is exactly what I would do. And I think, like, the humor is the fact that you walk up there and you feel completely overwhelmed faced with that crowd and that many people watching at home. It's, like, relatable. It's understandable. It's what we feel like we would all do. (laughs) Um, Can you think of another time where a speech won you over with its brevity? Well, yeah. I mean, we've already talked about 
one Anita from West Side Story who's one. So <laughs> we might as well talk about the second one as well. <laughs> uh, Rita Moreno's speech when she won for West Side Story. She got up there and she she was just like, here I am. And, and, and it was very quick, wham, bam. Like, that was it. I can't believe it. Good Lord. I leave you with that. <laughs> Yeah, so that was Moreno with a one, two, three, eleven word speech at the 1961 Oscars. It's so funny because I, I recently visited the the Academy Museum, mm-hmm. and so they have a room where they they play a bunch of the old speeches. Mm-hmm. And if you stay in the room long enough, you you'll hear all these speeches that are going on for 30, 40 seconds, mm-hmm. minutes long. And then you get to her, and it's just like. <laughs> All right. It's like a loop of her walking up to the stage. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Uh, Okay, so we have so far the sincere speech and we have the funny speech. And I think the other big category is the political speech. And, you know, like in my head, when I think of political speech, there's one that comes to my mind immediately. Hello, my name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening. When Marlon Brando won the Oscar for Best Actor in 1973, instead of walking up there to get his little gold statue, he sent a young woman, Sasheen Littlefeather, on his behalf not to accept the award, but to reject the award and what felt like the Academy itself. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. Excuse me. And on television, in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. I've thought about this speech in particular a lot. I have mixed feelings about it because Mm. I think overall Marlon Brando, he was not perfect, but he was an ally in some respects at a time when it was much more dangerous to be an ally right. um, than, than it is today. And I I understand what he was trying to do, but I also feel at the same time that letting her go up there and bear the brunt of that is kind of a cop-out. You can just see her face when the boos start. Yes, there, there were boos. And part of the reason there were boos was because she was actually critiquing not just representation in a vacuum, but representation as Hollywood depicts it. And when it came to the way Native Americans were being shown on screen, and the way they're still shown on screen in many ways, um, that critique of the people in the room is something you don't usually see. (laughs) It's like, you all are the ones who are perpetuating (laughs) these stereotypes. Fine. And they're like, no, <laughs> we, we will not stand for this. Right. Um, yeah, which is another reason why I just feel as though in a way he was kind of throwing her to the wolves. Mm. And I would feel a little bit better about that speech 
had he done it himself mm-hmm. and or brought her up with him, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could say, like, I don't think she should be silenced. I want her to be able to see, say those things. But I also think, you know, <laughs> be an ally, man. Be up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about all these different kinds of speeches. The sincere speech, the funny speech, the political speech. And also, we're at the end of award season right now. So I'm wondering, is there a speech that you've heard in the past year that's doing one of these things well or managing to do something differently altogether? Uh, Well, I think one that's very recent is the one that Michelle Williams gave for the Gotham Awards. She won sort of a performer tribute award. And it's really, really beautiful. Mary Beth Peel played my grams on Dawson's Creek. She told me stories about this place, New York fucking city. And she said it was somewhere that I could go and I could build a life. She said that I should try doing theater. I started reading plays and talking to her about them, and she urged me on. Yes, yes, that's wonderful, my girl. You should do that. You should try that. That, like, relationship and that rapport with one of her elders, I think, really speaks to the the acknowledgement that you don't get to where you are without other people helping you and supporting you. I wasn't an artist or a mother. I wasn't even a high school graduate. Honestly, I was barely even a Michelle. I had just gotten people to stop calling me Shelly. But now I was Mary Beth's girl, and that made me a somebody. It's always nice when you see performers looking back on the people who may not have been the most famous, and they acknowledge where they came from. I think a recent speech that stuck out to me was Cheryl Lee Ralph winning for Best Supporting Actress at the Emmys for Abbott Elementary. And she just, like, had the most auntie, ancestor-fied speech delivery that I didn't know that I needed. I am an endangered species But I sing no victim song I am a woman I am an artist And I know Just the fact that she stood up there and opened it with a song, which is something you normally would only see on maybe the Grammys or the Tonys, mm-hmm. not necessarily the Emmys. Mm-hmm. And she's calling back. She's like, y'all going to remember that I was the original Dina on Broadway. Like, mm-hmm. let's not forget. Mm-hmm. I, I do it all. I sing. I act. I'm a comedian. I can do all that stuff. And I've been here. And that that is what that moment was. Absolutely. And if it were just the song, it would have been amazing. But then she followed up with a speech that left everybody misty-eyed. Like, it was just as powerful. To anyone who has ever, ever had a dream and thought your dream wasn't, wouldn't, couldn't come true, I am here to tell you that this is what believing looks like. This is what striving looks like. And don't you ever, ever give up on you. It's not just about the words that are happening on the stage. It's about being able to marry the words that are happening on the stage to a larger story about, like, someone's trajectory. 
Growing up, if you watch Cheryl Lee Ralph, I mean, she was the mom of Moesha. She was the mom in Sister Act 2, telling Lauren Hill that the choir is out. And <laughs> there's just, like, a level of, like, black fame that some actors and actresses achieve where they've played everybody's mama, they've played everyone's auntie. And so they kind of, like, exist in Black people's imaginations in those same sort of spaces. And so you can see when Cheryl Lee Ralph, who is someone who hasn't been awarded the awards that she deserves for her career, gets called up to the stage. She can't believe it. But you see all of the Black actors around her, like, pulling her train to make sure that she's fine, walking her up to the stage because she, their mom just won. Like, you know what I mean? Their auntie just won. And mm-hmm. I think that not only does that give her the ability to take up more space on the stage and everyone just be excited with the fact that she's being a ham, but it just adds this extra layer of context onto the speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's Charlie Ralph. She does no wrong. She is no wrong. She wears what she wants. And she was in Fenty's yes, last yes, runway yes. show. She's amazing. So, Aisha, now that we've listened to all these speeches, I'm wondering if there's any new patterns that you're noticing about what makes a good speech. Um, surprise. There's always a little hint of surprise that makes it memorable and that makes us continue to talk about these speeches decades after they've happened. Thanks so much for hanging out and watching these speeches with me, Aisha. It was so much fun. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Josh. I could not do this episode, would be remiss to do this episode, would consider this episode a complete failure if I did not talk about one Miss Halle Berry in her infamous Oscar speech. And guess what? I get to do that with Wesley Morris right after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Dana Carvey and David Spade here. You might know our podcast, Fly on the Wall, featuring guests from across the entertainment industry. We decided to do a spinoff called Superfly, and it's fun. It's just two of us riffing on current events, pop culture, catching up, impressions. Joe, Trump's trying to be a dictator. Yeah, she says, uh, you know, bump on the tater tots. Joe, no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to and follow Superfly on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. I'm sitting here with none other than critic at the New York Times, host of Still Processing, two times Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Wesley Morris. Hi, Josh. The time has come for Wesley and I to take a deep dive into the best award speech, according to me, of all time, Halle Berry 2002 Oscars, when she won Best Actress for Monsters Ball. This moment... (laughs) So much bigger than me. This moment is for Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Horne, Diane Carroll. I would say that is one of the great speeches 
I mean, at any award show and her understanding of what the moment was mm-hmm. and the way she understands and puts the win and what she's about to say in the context of all the people who were never able to give a speech right. like that. Right. And of course, the win is significant, duh, because she's the first black woman to ever win Best Actress. And I want to unpack Hallie's full speech in a few minutes, really roll out the red carpet for it, if you will. Mm -hmm. But first, I think we should talk a little bit about what led up to this moment, both in Hallie's career and in Hollywood. Before Hallie won the Oscar in 2002, there'd only been a handful of black actors that had won an Oscar in the 74 years beforehand. And other than Sidney Poitier, it's all supporting roles. So you had Hattie McDaniel with Gone with the Wind. You had Whoopi Goldberg for Ghosts. You and Danger Girl. You had Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire. Denzel Washington. Mm -hmm. Louis Gossett Jr. If you think about the way that Black people had been winning Academy Awards, or just like focusing on what they were nominated for doing, it's usually for supporting work. It's usually for supporting white people doing stuff. And it's like whiteception. Like, the Academy members who vote on the Oscars were, and still are, overwhelmingly white and male, which makes those rare wins for Black nominees all the more noteworthy. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg winning for Ghost. You know, she was not my first choice if I'm filling out an Oscar ballot. <gasps> Wesley. I'm just saying, if you could only pick one person, I'm picking Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas. But I remember knowing that Whoopi Goldberg was going to win that night and just being so excited that it was going to happen. And Whoopi would win Best Supporting Actress in 1991. And it kicked off a decade where we saw more Black actors breaking through in lead roles, including a young former Miss World contestant turned actor named Halle Berry. When's the first time that you were aware of Halle Berry as an actress? Like, okay, so the first time I saw Halle Berry is in Jungle Fever. She plays Samuel L. Jackson's girlfriend in that movie. And Spike Lee's Jungle Fever comes out in 1991. And she is very memorable in a small part as a junkie, basically. And Barry is like down and dirty and nasty as Samuel L. Jackson's girlfriend. I, You know, that movie didn't get anything it deserved if we're talking about Academy Awards. That came, movie came out in the beginning of the summer. In the middle of the summer, Boomerang happens. Oh, it's so 90s. It's got Eddie Murphy. And he's at like peak Eddie Murphy stardom. Didn't you just hear me say I was sorry? I heard you say you're sorry. You're sorry and you're tired. You don't love me. You don't love Jacqueline. You only love your damn self. And that's the movie that sort of announces her as a possible movie star. And like very few people get that kind of launch pad for a kind of success. And yet, I don't know who she was losing parts to. I don't know who wasn't opening the door for her to come and audition. But it just didn't, like her career didn't. It it just didn't take off. Yes. And it's interesting. There's this interview that she did with Vogue, you know, those like My Life and Looks videos that they do, Mm -hmm. where she talked about how when she was starting out, all the black women in Hollywood were going to the same auditions because like there were a certain amount of parts. There were two parts. Exactly. And all how all of them had a very similar look. As an actor, I was a young actress and I was going on auditions and every audition I saw another black girl just like me, big curly hair, and I felt like the casting director just like went, uh, you. And then that's who got the job. So this was on purpose. It was very much designed to set myself apart from the other women that I was going up against in my auditions. And the first audition I had since I cut my hair, I got that job. And boom! 
That's how you get the iconic Halle Berry pixie. And it's part of how she started booking roles. And the end of the 90s, things are really falling into place with her. She does this amazing TV movie called Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. Oh, yeah. Which she was, like, destined to play because she looks exactly like Dorothy Dandridge. Right. This is in 1999. And then she does her first superhero movie in 2000 where she plays Storm in X-Men. And she has so many different accents as one character in one movie. <laughs> I remember um, literally in one scene, she's like, Logan. And then the next one, she's like, girl, what's up? Like, And I'm like, is there no continuity? Um, I just remember around 2001, this movie called Swordfish came out. And I remember thinking, wow, like Halle Berry is a like movie star, movie star. And one of the ways you know you're a movie star is when you can make a movie that is a big box office success and people are going to the movie to see you or in, unfortunately, the case of Swordfish, your body. Featuring John Travolta, Hugh Jackman, and Halle Berry, Swordfish in theaters now. There's a disrobing of one of the cast members I hear. I've heard a lot about the Halle Berry, you know. I like it. It's hot. It's sexy. I like it. Part of the marketing of that movie was that Halle Berry is going to take her, will be taking her clothes off for this yeah. motion picture that also stars John Travolta and Hugh Jackman. And then you follow up your big box office success with something that shows you can also act. And so in the fall, this movie called Monsters Ball starts rolling around the festival circuit. Mm -hmm. And Monsters Ball is this movie about this prison guard played by blood carrier Billy Bob Thornton. And he oversees the execution of someone that's on death row who's played by Sean Puff Daddy Diddy Combs. And then... Billy Bob Thornton starts a relationship with Diddy's wife, Halle Berry. And I just remember it being really controversial, people not knowing how to feel about it. The nature of people's discomfort went all over the place. It was that Halle Berry was having sex in, at all. It was that she was having sex with a white man. It was the movie where Puffy goes to die on death row. Mm -hmm. And two white men take him to die, essentially. Puffy's dead and Billy Bob Thornton swoops in to have sex with Halle Berry. <sighs> There's a lot of things for people to like potentially grapple with, but I, I mean, she's doing what I can only describe as blackting, right? What did you just say? Blackting. What is blackting? It is the application of blackness where none is needed. <laughs> it is it is a style of performance that requires you to act in a way that has nothing to do with anything the page is asking for. I mean, it could be received as a kind of minstrelsy, but it's not mm. that. It is something essential and true to the person doing doing the blackting, right? Um, and I think that like the thing that might make some people uncomfortable with this performance is the degree to which the person giving it is leaving everything out there. Mm. Right. There are no stops held in. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't love this movie, mm -hmm. but I'm not I don't have a problem with the performance. I mean, certainly a lot of people like Tally's performance because she ends up getting a nomination for Best Actress at the Oscars. Welcome to the 74th Annual Academy Awards. What a night. 2002 was the blackest, the most significantly black the Academy Awards had ever been. Because, um, you know, they gave Sidney Poitier the honorary mm -hmm. Oscar. Denzel wins for Training mm -hmm. Day. Um, Will Smith is also nominated that year for, for Ali. Ali. 
Um, Whoopi Goldberg is hosting. Mm -hmm. uh, it just is a, it's just a wonderful night. She's an Oscar nominee tonight for Best Actress. Welcome, Halle Berry. So, because the Oscars, they take forever to get to the good part. At the end of the ceremony, they get ready to give the award for Best Actress. And of course, Halle's there, but set the scene. Who else is there? That was Sissy Spacek in the bedroom, Judy Dench for Iris, uh, Nicole Kidman from Moulin Rouge, and Renee Zellweger for Bridget Jones. And the only person of those five people giving what I would call like a straight up no brainer. If you're an actor who likes the most acting in a movie, the only person doing the most acting among those five people is Halle Berry. What happened? I met your daddy. Listen, listen, just get out and get talk off. to me. Don't, don't let it. It's too late. You can't do that. You, at least got to give me a chance. Whatever he, whatever he did. It don't matter a whole lot. Do it. Please, get, give me a chance to talk to you. Get out of here. You just don't. You just I mean, she leaves the snot on the floor. There's tears on windows. There's a clear degree of a person giving everything they have and people being surprised by that. And, you know, I think it's actually those exact same qualities that she ends up bringing to the speech. And that's what makes it so memorable. So, Wesley, I think in order to do this speech justice, we got to watch it and do a true play-by-play. -play. And the Oscar goes to... Halle Berry in Monsters Day. Oh, oh man, she's shaking. Oh boy. Immediately. And she immediately, immediately. like, she's like oh my God, I can't believe it. They all stand up. Everybody's on their feet. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Judy Dench. Sissy SpaceX up. She's like already having a breakdown. She's like, her she's her face is in a rictus. And then Halle Berry's on stage. Russell Crowe is giving her the award, so she's like. Hugging him, but mostly holding on for dear life. I think Russell Crowe literally probably just said to her, Calm the Don't fuck down. forget to breathe, Hallie. <laughs> I know it's a lot, girl. Right. I was up here last year uh, and I couldn't breathe. Okay. But you got to remember to breathe. He's like, It's going to be okay. She cannot believe she's holding that Oscar. She's staring at that. She's looking at it like, Is it real? She just like is just like putting her hand out in the audience. I presume at Denzel and Pauletta Washington. <laughs> I believe she is pointing to them. Oh my god! <laughs> and she's crying, and her face just looks beautiful, and scared, and excited. And she starts speaking. This moment so much bigger than me. This moment is for Dorothy Dandridge, Lena Horne, Diane Carroll. It's for the women that stand beside me, Jada Pinkett, Angela Bassett. Vivica Fox, and it's for every nameless, faceless woman of color that now has a chance because this door tonight has been opened. Now, I, I'm tearing up. Me too. I mean, nameless, faceless woman who, I mean, ooh. I, I, I think the thing that was really moving about this for me 
was that you want to go up there and help this person right. through this. Right. But but you're also, like, feeling something similar. Yes. 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 You, uh, 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 it's yes. easy to feel seen because you feel, you're feeling the same thing. Yes. It's reflected yes. back at you. I'm so honored. I'm so honored. And I thank the Academy for choosing me to be the vessel for which is blessing my flow. Thank you. I want to thank my manager, Vincent Cerenzione. He's been with me for 12 long years and you've fought every fought and you've loved me when I've been up, but more importantly, you've loved me when I've been down. You have been a manager, a friend, and the only father I've ever known. Really, and I love you very much. Can we pause for a second? Because even in the middle of like, just like your usual ye old award speech, Pitter patter, the agent, the director, mm-hmm. the producer. Like, she's like, thanks to you, I am standing here with this statue. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's just such a beautiful... Anyway, keep going. It's, it's, it's just, just, just like, says so much that she's able to give the most mundane, routine part of the acceptance speech still sound like heartfelt and thought out and planned and beautiful there's this other moment in the speech I want to play, still in the midst of her thinking people, that I think might be my favorite part. Um, I, 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 who else? I have so many people that I know I need to thank. Um, my lawyers, Neil Meyer, thank you. Okay, wait a minute, I gotta take this 74 years here! Okay, I gotta take this time! <laughs> I gotta thank... Okay, <laughs> that's, anytime that's you don't pull pause, the race card, it's right pause, now. You're not going to play pause. off. 70, she had the number. You're that's n- where I'm going to start crying because, I mean, obviously it's the 74th, 74th Academy Awards, but like. Look, she has the ability to stay present while also bringing in that historical significance. Like, that is amazing. And speaking of history, she ends up talking about what we were talking about, where her career started with Spike Lee and Jungle Fever and the people that gave her a chance when other people wouldn't. Lastly, and not leastly, I have to thank Spike Lee for putting me in my very first film and believing in me, Oprah Winfrey for being the best role model any girl can have, Joel Silver, thank you, and thank you to Warren Beatty. Thank you so much for being my mentors and believing in me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, wow. I just feel like there is so much life in her. So much damn life. But that's that's the thing. It's like, I remember feeling so happy. But now it feels, in the words of a philosopher named Avril Lavigne, really complicated because I get a really different feeling watching it now than I did the night that mm. it happened. What's different for you? At that time, I was so ecstatic. Mm-hmm. I was like, racism oh, is over. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Halle Berry is going to be in all the movies from now on. Young Josh. You know? And now— So charming. <laughs> now, I, whenever I watch it, I feel sad. Mm. Like, on one hand, Halle broke a trend by winning this award, Best Actress. No other black woman had won it. But it's like Halle never had another Oscar nomination. She didn't really even have another Oscar contending role. And then I look at today, like 20 years later, and she's the only black woman to have won this award. And except for Viola Davis, every black nominee for Best Actress has only been nominated once. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) What is going on? I also think that the real question is, what 
is the next thing those people get to do. Because right. it's not a thing you would really notice if they went on... And did a cajillion other things. Yes. Right. But that's not what happens. I mean, Angela Bassett, like, she was a thing for about three years, like a, like a movie star that made things that people went to go see. And then they just stopped putting her in things. She should have had more. Mm. And we're putting this episode out right before the Oscars where she's nominated for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Mm -hmm. So fingers crossed that she finally gets her due, you know? But of course, even if she ends up winning, it wouldn't make up for the last 30 years of Hollywood underutilizing her. The thing about a person like Angela Bassett is you want more for this person. You want more for... Gabby Sidibe, Convention A. Wallace. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg obviously, you know, became a star. But even her, they stopped calling her. It's just, a, it's a bummer to think about it that way, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we we liked you once, and we're done, mm. right? I, I do think that, like, what we're talking about is just not enough opportunity for people to even vote for who they wanted to see. Right. And I think that the thing about somebody like Gabourey Sidibe is the imagination is so limited mm -hmm. that they can't even conceive. What could we possibly put this person in? How could we possibly use this person? Angela Bassett, what do we do with all this intensity? Mm. How do we how do we make the most of that? Mm. Instead, they get scared and they go off in some other direction. And for Hallie, winning the Oscar didn't change things in her career in the way that anyone would have expected. Like, awards aside, as a movie star, she hasn't been the face of too many blockbusters and big movies since. She used all the power she had to make Catwoman. And, but which at the time was simultaneously like the way to, she was thinking, she was curve. thinking beyond where the movies were at that moment. She could see what the landscape looked like. And imagine if that had worked. Right. Right. She'd have been in a franchise mm -hmm. that she could have done for five, six movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not that many, but like several movies of Catwoman. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not, we are not sitting here having a conversation about what a bad career Halle Berry's had, right. right? What we're talking about is a person who made the most of the opportunities that they both created for themselves mm. and the that the industry offered them. There's this clip I want to play for you from an interview that Halle Berry did with Vanity Fair looking back at her Oscar. And she's very sober about her impact and what could have been and what was. I couldn't have expected that 20 years later there would be no other woman of color standing next to me. Um, but what I also know is that I've seen women of color, uh, especially black women, I've seen them winning, winning and winning. Since that night, I think there was a door opened within the industry and maybe it didn't garner another award, but the doors opened and I've seen more women of color in leading roles, producing, writing, directing now. And so I know that that moment mattered and I know it incited change. And that part I feel good about, but sure, do I wish someone was standing next to me? Absolutely. She's like, well, okay, so nobody else won an Academy Award. That would have been nice. Right. But I mean, there are so many different things happening that involve non-white women. Right. Women at all. Right. That were not happening before 2002. They just weren't. They weren't. If I mean, because after she wins, you definitely see more Best Actress nominees who are not white mm. than you've seen in the entire history of the Academy 
before that. So she she definitely opened something, right? I mean, listen, I'm not about to name a name, but there's a lot of people doing a lot less. <laughs> ain't doing nothing. And Halle Berry couldn't be doing more right. given how long she's been in the business. She, anytime you ask her to talk about this stuff, she will talk and name name. True. Right? And she, and <laughs> we don't even know the things that she has been subjected to. Right. The things that have been said to her. The things she knows she didn't get to do because she is a black woman. Mm-hmm. At this point, Halle Berry is a mentor. She is a, she is a steward. She is a tastemaker in some ways. I think that she is rooting for the thing that we are rooting for. I think there's a whole other act in her that we have. I mean, how old is she? 55, maybe? There's a lot of of juice left in that lemon. (laughs) So, last question to play us out. In honor of Halle Berry. (laughs) Give me your Oscar speech. Oh, no. Come on. Listen, I want to thank I want to thank the Academy for being dumb enough to put me on the ballot. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to thank my mom who, oh my God, I might start crying. I want to thank my mom who couldn't be here tonight mm. because she's no longer with us, but she's here somewhere watching this. She knows I did my best. I want to thank my sister. I want to thank you for standing by me. Let me sleep in your guest bedroom when I come home. I want to thank your babies. And um, I want to say that I understand everything it took to get up here tonight. And it was not easy. And I, too, like Halle Berry, am standing on the shoulders of a lot of people who y'all don't even know, didn't want to know, didn't want to see, made fun of, exploited, took from, didn't give back. Well, you given this to me. I appreciate it. But y'all got more work to do. Thank you. And good night. I really appreciate this. But keep the work up. We all got to do it, especially y'all. Back Issue is produced by Pineapple Street Studios. I'm the host and senior producer, Josh Gwynn. Back Issue was created by myself and Tracy Clayton. Our producers are Janelle Anderson, Xandra Ellen, and Ari Saperstein. Our editors are Leela Day and Emmanuel Habsis. Our managing producer is Bria Mariette. Our executive producer is Leela Day. And our intern is Noah Camuso. Today's episode was produced by Ari Saperstein and edited by Leela Day. Our sound engineers include Sharon Bardales, Davey Sumner, Jason Richards, Jade Brooks, Marina Pais, Pedro Avira, and Raj Makija. Art designed by Cadence 13 and original music by Raj Makija and Don Will. Executive producers for Pineapple Street Studios are Jenna Weiss Berman and Max Linsky. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Regarding Josh. You can follow the show on Instagram at Back Issue Podcast. And if you use the hashtag Back Issue Podcast to talk about it on Twitter, you sound like you like chaos and I like you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever free podcasts are sold. You can leave a review. Tell your friend, tell your family, tell your enemy, tell everyone, because it really, really does help. I'll see you next week. Bye.